Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I hope everybody has a copy of the bulletin. If you don't, you need to go get you one because there's um, a little bit of stuff here at the outset that you need to take home with you in case somebody corners you about what I said. And, uh, and that way you'll, you can defend me if you've got the courage. Before we start, I want to uh, encourage you women that on the 12th of October, we're having a ladies' event. It is, it is more than just a Bible study. We'll have a, 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 a warm-up session on the 5th that night in the, back in the student center in preparation. And, uh, and um, as we introduce Rahab, and then she'll actually be here in the flesh that night. We're going to have a carry, uh, the ladies will have a solid uh, smorgasbord and we'll eat a little bit, or you all will, I won't. Uh, they won't let the poor men in again. And uh, But anyway, <clears throat> the tickets are available now and we're just charging $2 a piece and it's primarily to pay for the decorations and because you're bringing the food because you can't get in if, unless you bring your favorite salad for the salad smorgasbord. And then uh, uh, we want you to get the tickets so we know how many to prepare for, how to set up the room, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> now, this past week, we sent out a mailing. The problem is, a few weeks ago, our computer died and went to be with Jesus or somewhere because I don't have a lot of confidence in computers, but it died and, and we lost about a lot of stuff because we didn't have it properly backed up. We did the best we can to, to, to get addresses and so on in the mailing. If you did not get a mailing from us this week, before you leave, fill out a card back there at the desk where Matthew is and get us your name and address and I'll send you the stuff because uh, we're trying to get it back updated and, and everything, and, and it's, been, it's been a problem. We really tried hard, but I don't care how hard you try, you will miss some people, and, uh, and I'm certain we did. And if you, any of you ladies did not get a mailing, oh, I, please fill that out, and, and we'll see that you get one ASAP. Other thing is I would encourage you to go ahead and get your tickets for that event. The lady that's coming uh, has been doing this. She, she is an actress who does different women of the Bible. I would also encourage you to bring your teenage daughters, if at all possible. Uh, and besides that, we need some teenage kids to help carry the stuff in for different folks, and, and we'll make them earn their supper. But I think you'll really enjoy the program. It's a church-wide event. It's just not a little Bible study like we've had with maybe 40 or 50 women. This, this is, we're, we would like to have 150, 200 women for that event. There'll be a little bit of a program ahead of time with some singing and so on, and we'll introduce her. You probably saw on the way in the background with the, the, the Jericho thing and the place where the spies came out and the cord where she hung it out where Rahab hung it out uh, and so I, I think you'll learn a lot in fact if you choose to come both on the 5th and the, for the warm-up and the thing on the 12th you'll probably know more about Rahab Joshua and Jericho than most preachers I, can, I promise you that and uh, because I'm going to see to it okay I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. That's the way it's going to be. There's two or three other things that I wanted to point out to you. I want to talk about my friend Mel Smith for a minute. Mel's daughter died here recently in Cincinnati. She had three children. And Mel, 
He's either 64 or 65, works out of the prison. And Mel has chosen to take those children into the home. That's a big undertaking. And I want you to just remember Mel in your prayers because uh, uh, in, in, if you were 40, it would be a big deal. But he's, he, I think he's now, uh, I think he's already 65. And uh, uh, anytime that, you, that any of us are required to do that, and a lot of us who are grandparents have done that, but having done that myself, I'm telling you, it's a major undertaking and a life-changing thing. So keep Mel in your prayers, if you will, please. The other thing that's going to happen, it looks like, is Sunday night, the Saturday night service is going to be moved from here into, I don't know when yet, but into the chapel, and it's going to be called the Saturday night chapel service. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to change the thing there on Saturday night so that there can, we can have, uh, well, there will be some intimacy where we can, we can talk to each other, take uh, testimonies and so on and so forth, so that everybody, you can't do that in here because you can't hear, the, the room is too big. But just to alert you that that's in the plans, as of last night, the folks kind of approved of that. Now, the message this morning has some information in it that is generally not accepted by many churches and our culture. And that's the reason I wanted you to have a copy of the, uh, of, of the outline of the sermon because everything that I intend to say, I'm going to back up with book, chapter, and verse. So under, understand... I, I'm very careful about what I'm talking about. And here's the statement that is often made that causes a lot of people confusion. It is just a simple statement that has some truth to it. The statement is this. God is in charge of everything. And I'm going to tell you, by his own choice, he isn't. Tell them I said hi, and I'll talk to them just as soon as I get through preaching. You know, and so they, and and now I want you to hang on to that because this sermon is going to go out over the internet, and and uh, I will get letters. I don't care about that. I care about you knowing what the Bible says, regardless of what theologians and uh, and others say. Who's running the show here on earth? That's the big question. Now, before we get into that and deal with it as it's there on your bulletin, the subject assigned to me for today was the word Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel literally means from the Hebrew text, God with us. That's the literal meaning of the word, God with us. That word is not in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament thing that was, uh, that was in the book of Isaiah in the seventh chapter here in particular. Mentioned again in the eighth chapter. But I'm going to read what it says here in, in the seventh chapter and where the word comes from and what it means and how it ultimately was predicting the coming of the Messiah, which is literally God with us. So... It reads like this, and, and the context is that Isaiah is trying to get across to the people a message from God, and he's having to deal with some others. And so the Lord spoke to a guy named Ahaz, and he said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz, and Ahaz was a religious man, he said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord God to a test. I'll not test. In testing done, he'll test me. I won't test him. Then Isaiah said, who was the, he was the court prophet. Isaiah wasn't some wanderer out in the woods. He actually lived in the palace of the king. He was a, what's called a court prophet. And he was the chief spokesman. Then Isaiah said, hear me now. You house of David, 
or the Israelites and the kings? Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Why do you try the patience of God too? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child. Now, I need to stop there for a second. The word virgin here is not the word that means just virgin. It actually means, it, just, it, means it is literally translated young woman. It can be a virgin. It can be someone that isn't. It just means a young woman. I'll tell you why it was translated virgin in a minute. It will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel is, not, is, is the Hebrew term and it, it doesn't translate it into and God is with us. Because the Israelites were in danger of, of, of all kinds of threats from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and they were asking the question, Where's God? How can he let all of this stuff go on? Where's God? Is he in charge or isn't he? That question has always been one that has troubled people. Now let's go back to that word virgin and Emmanuel for a minute. The reason it's translated virgin is in the New Testament when Jesus is when God is in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, and the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke, they actually use the word virgin. A virgin shall give birth to a son, and his name will be Jesus. And so as a result of that, Bible translators have said, then, then the prophecy of the birth must mean that the prophecy should be translated virgin too. So that's why the word was translated, because you'll hear liberals saying, oh, it doesn't say that. And, and literally it doesn't until you see what the fulfillment of the prophecy is. The fulfillment of the prophecy is, it shall be a virgin. A girl who has never known a man will give birth. Because the seed in her womb was placed there by the Holy Spirit. And so then they went back and translated that young woman to be a virgin. Because it can be either. God is with us. And when Jesus came, and what, I, what I'll get to in just a little bit here. When we get through the opening part of it. Is... Why people continue to ask, where is God? We have a guy that quit coming to church here. He's a good friend. His wife is here this morning. And he, he was blaming God for something Satan was doing. And I think probably still is. So who's really running the show here on earth? Do you know? Do you know what the Bible says? Because we have a tendency to, 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 to say... Uh, what a lot of preachers, I, and I'm talking about good men. I'm not talking about uh, some clod. I'm talking about s some really good people who allow their theology to impress their biblical interpretation rather than allowing the biblical interpretation to create the theology. There's a difference, a big difference. I fit into the latter. I think the scripture must form my theology. I can't have a theology and then try to fit it into the scripture. And you, so you need to know where I'm coming from. And you need, if you have your Bible either on your Kindle or some other thing that you tote around with you that uh, is kind of demonic, but you can use it. It's okay. In the 12th chapter of the book of John at verse 31, I want you to look at that. I've, I've put it out here for you. And this is Jesus talking now. This isn't some theologian, da-da-da. This is in, in, uh, in, a, in a red letter edition of your Bible. This will be a red letter. And here is what Jesus is saying, starting at verse 30. What had happened there was for the third time, God had announced that Jesus was his son and glorified his name. And Jesus comments on that to those who were listening. 
The voice, he said, was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, he's talking about this world, not heaven. He's talking about us here. And he goes on to say, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who do you suppose is the prince of this world that Jesus is talking about? It's none other than the devil himself. It is Satan himself. And he goes ahead and comments on that. And, uh, and what I wanted, what I put in your writing there was the Greek word that is translated prince. Because it, it means, a, it literally translated instead of prince would be ruler over. The ruler over this world. The word archon is where we get our word arch. And an arch is a what? And so he is saying here that the day is coming when Satan will be judged. Satan who is the ruler over this world. That may not be comforting. But it's important for you to know. When I family of half a dozen is driving down a highway and a drunk crosses the center line and hits them head on and kills them. Is that the work that God is in charge of? The Bible specifically says that Satan is the author and the promoter of death himself. He's a liar and a cheat and a killer. And he, you need to understand that all of the turmoil in our world is satanically produced. God, when he's totally in charge, chooses to be totally in charge, and ultimately his will will be done. Because judgment will come to Satan at his timing. But until then, you and I live in a hostile atmosphere. An atmosphere that's controlled, generally speaking, all over the world by chaos and evil. You see, when God created things, he took chaos and brought into existence what we call cosmos. He brought order out of chaos. And he's still in that business. He's in the business of bringing order to homes. Wherever he is recognized and given authority by choice. Because God wants a people who love him. And love requires a choice. He calls out people who want him to rule their life. That's the reason Paul wrote to the church in Rome, a political power of the world, and said to Christians who lived there, and they were living in a hostile atmosphere, not to be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 1 and following, but be ye transformed or changed by the renewing of the way you think, the renewing of your mind. Folks, we live and will continue to live until Jesus comes again in a hostile, anti-Christian atmosphere. And we need to face up to that and forget theological little tidbits that have no biblical basis. God's people live in a hostile world and Jesus came to say, here's who God is. And he demonstrated in the flesh so that we would know who God is. And he came into this world, and this world killed him. Now, it was with God's permission, of course, because he said, no, nobody takes my life. I lay it down in order to achieve God's plan of salvation. Ever since the fall of, in the garden, the sin in the garden, 
the turmoil has been here and it continues to be here. And the reason I keep encouraging you folks, don't get too caught up in politics because it's under control of somebody else other than God in most instances, even though there's some fine Christians in the political arena. So Jesus came into the world and then he said to his 12, I'm going to die. And when he said this in the 13th or 14th, 13th chapter of John, Peter jumped out. We don't want you to, we're comforted whenever we're with you. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? But Jesus, well, it can't, it can't work that way. I didn't come into the world just for the Jews. I came into the world for the whole world. And because I'm in a physical body, I can't be everywhere at once. I have to go away. But if I go away, I will send another comforter. And the word another, there, there's two Greek words for, I, I, I hate to dump this on you, but it's important. There are two Greek words for other. One means alos, which is another exactly the same. And then the other word you'll recognize because it's heteros, where we get heterosexual. It means other but different. And Jesus used the word alos. I'll petition the Father who will send another comforter just like me. And then he goes on in the 14th and 15th chapter to say, and that other comforter is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself. Now the beauty of it is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to go away. And the Spirit of God can be everywhere all the time when Jesus' physical body was limited by time and space. So it was necessary, he said, that I go away and send the Comforter. The Comforter who can be with us all of the time. And that's what Emmanuel is really about. What, the, what does it mean? God with us. We, have it, we, have, we struggle with that in our minds sometimes because of programming. And we're all programmed. You know, I, I know with the best of intentions, I was programmed in regard to prayer all wrong by really good Christian people who meant well. I was programmed to believe that if you're really going to pray, you need to get out on your knees and fix your <coughs> hands and bow your head and close your eyes. There's... That just isn't true. The most effective time that I pray is usually in the car driving around. I see a house like Mel's or I see your house. And believe it or not, the Lord, even sometimes when I'm laying on the bed reading scripture, he'll bring names to my mind to pray, to call to to intercede for you. That's what we're really for. We're to intercede for each other. Speak on each other's behalf. And you don't have to be in a church building. You don't have to be, because anywhere you are, the Spirit of God is. And you can speak with him wherever you are, whatever you're doing. But you see, we get programmed with words. When Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, teach us to pray like you do. And he used the model prayer. And he started, our Father, where is the Father? Who art in heaven. So what we get to thinking is, God is in heaven. So how can he be in heaven and here at the same time? Well, the answer is, God is spirit. And he expresses himself in a Trinitarian form. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his capacity to do that is kind of easy for him, but difficult at times for us to comprehend. But here's what he said. If you have become a Christian, and you, you become a Christian when you know that if you don't, if you don't become a Christian, you're going to die twice. And you finally get that in your head. 
See, it's, a, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's when we are separated from the flesh and separated from because the word death means what? Separation. So when we die physically and we, we lay aside this earthly body, and as the Apostle Paul said, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're just really changing locations when we die. Even though death is not a friend, it's an enemy. So we have trouble sometimes getting clear in our mind that even though our, we say our Father who art in heaven, he is here with us all of the time. That's the reason Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit with you. And even though we're not always aware of his presence, that's our problem because he's always there. Always there. Why can I say that? If you go over to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, again, I'm trying to substantiate what I'm telling you with book, chapter, and verse. I think that's the only way that you can get clear in your mind. I don't have to, I don't have to vacillate. I, 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 can, I can say this with confidence. The word faith literally in, can be translated confident assurance. And he says, and the Hebrew writer copied an Old Testament phrase that God had given to Joshua when he said, Joshua, you're to succeed Moses. And just like I never left or forsook him, I will never leave or forsake you. And then what the New Testament writer does is he takes that passage of Scripture and applies it to you and me. And he says, if you accept Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, get your old life, become a new creature in Christ Jesus, he who puts his presence in you never to leave you nor to forsake you. I don't know whether you get that straight in your head or not, but that should be really comforting. Never to leave you nor forsake you. 13th chapter, book of Hebrews. We live in a hostile atmosphere when the most of our world believes that you and I were not created in the image of God. Most of our world believes that you were a cosmological accident. That in the chaos of billions of years ago, lightning hit something somewhere and, 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 and a bunch of things came together and a simple form of life began and that simple form of life then turned out to be you over billions of years. And because that is the dominant teaching in all of our schools, in all of our culture, and the concept that we were created by a living God. And where, where these same people really get messed up is you say, well, well, where did the stuff come from? And where did the lightning come from? And where did all that come from? Well, well, it was always there. So what they're really saying is a type of pantheism that says God, that, that, that creation is a type of God. Because it has creative powers. Now, if you, if you really want to buy into that, I got a bridge or two to sell you and we can get our building paid for. The, we live in a world that poo-poos the fact that there is a God who spoke into existence everything that exists and that's where it came from. And that same God has chosen to be present with us all of the time so that we can survive in a hostile atmosphere. Not only can we survive, but we can be useful to Him and to each other in a hostile atmosphere. 
There's more to life than what we have here on earth. It's interesting thing. The Apostle Paul actually said it this way. He said, if, if this is in the 15th chapter uh, of the book of 1 Corinthians, that's the, the chapter we use all the time for Easter, resurrection, so on and so forth. And he, he said, if we have faith in only in this life, the one we're living in now with skin on, if that's all we have, we are of all men, he said, most miserable. Matthew was an ornery kid, and his mother thought, oh, I can change him with love. And I said, give me a stick. I'll change that sucker. And she actually came around and said, he's all yours. I said, hallelujah. So I sent him to California to be with his brother, Brian. Gave him legal permission to do with whatever he wanted to. And he stuck him in a military school. And, then, and Brian, at that time, was working for a couple of Jewish fellas. He got a degree in, in, um, in Nashville in music management from Belmont College. It's the only one in the country they had at that time. And he went out to California, and he got a job working with two young songwriters from New York City, a couple of Jewish fellas named Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. They became really famous and rich because they wrote several things for Elvis. But one of the songs that they wrote, uh, Peggy Lee sang. Those old guys remember Peggy Lee. You youngs, you know, you don't have the idea what I'm talking about. But Peggy Lee sang a song entitled, is, If That's All There Is, that, 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 uh, that Lieber and Stoller had written. It became a tremendously popular song. If that's all there is, had this one line says, if that's all there is, then strike up the band and start dancing and bring out the booze. Because if that's all there is, what difference does it make? They were right. If that's all there is, what difference does it make? Because you see, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul was writing this in the book of Philippians, third chapter, verses 19 and 20 are, are, are the important ones here. The Apostle Paul said, hey, look, here's the way it is. You and I have dual citizenship. We not only live here in the flesh, but when you accept Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ, you are given citizenship in God's eternal kingdom. God didn't give you, you know, when we, when we accept Christ, he didn't give you temporary life. He said, I'm giving you eternal life in an eternal kingdom. This kingdom of this world is doomed. I'm giving you citizenship in an eternal kingdom and a body that will exist in that kingdom. That's why it's called good news. I told you, I try to give book, chapter, and verse for every position that I take. And if I don't, if it's an opinion, I tell you it's my opinion. And my opinions are really good, but it's not Scripture. Now, that's supposed to be humorous for those of you who are asleep. Here's what he said. Listen. Talking about the enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But for those of us who have been born again into God's kingdom, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly 
await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies that so they will be like his glorious body. That's the good news. You and I, even though we live in the most wonderful country that ever was created, it's doomed. I don't know when or how, but it's doomed. God has placed a curse upon it, and it's going to be melt in a fervent heat, Peter said. But you and I have citizenship through our new birth into God's kingdom. In a kingdom where Satan is bound, cast out, and has zero influence. And here he rules the show. Satan has capacities to do things that are truly impressive. Almost all of the things that in the religious world where people keep talking about miracles and stuff, Satan can do almost all of them. Now somebody's going to say, because I had a preacher corner me about that not very long ago, and he said, well, where do you find that? It's in Second Thessalonians. It reads like this. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth, meaning the preaching of the gospel, and destroy the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. There's only one thing in the whole religious world that Satan cannot duplicate. Just one. Only one. And that's the kind of love that only God has. You see, in the New Testament, there are two different words for love. One is a word that, that anybody can have. It's called Phileo, that's the verb form, meaning to love. And it's the basis of where we get Philadelphia. Phileo, Delphios. Delphios means a whole bunch of people in one place, which is a city. Phileo meaning brotherly love. And so Philadelphia is called what? The city of brotherly love. But that's not what we're talking about. There's another word that Jesus always uses of himself and his Father. It's the word agape love. Agape love means that I will deny myself in order to benefit you. Satan is totally incapable of doing that because his whole demeanor is evil and selfish. What's the biggest problem you and I have? Even after we become Christians, what's the biggest problem we have? It's selfishness. And we struggle with it. And we struggle more than we need to. Because God is, is, is intimately available for giving assistance if we'll just recognize His presence and let Him influence our lives. He's always there. So how can Christians live a, a life that pleases God in a hostile atmosphere? Well, the first thing we have to do is to be saved. And then we must recognize we need help. And that's not easy for men to do. Women who hatch babies and do all that kind of stuff, they're just a whole lot better at it than men are. We're told you got to provide for your family, you have to do this, you got to do that, and, and, and we're programmed to, you know, I'm all self-sufficient. 
but we're not. So the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was struggling with that same type of stuff in a city called Corinth. It was a, a major seaport city in Greece, extremely wealthy, a trade center. And Christians, there were on top of the hill called the Acropolis, there was a great big pagan temple to Aphrodite. And every night, a thousand prostitutes, both male and female, would come down into that city and ply their trade, and Christians were trying to exist right in the middle of it. And they were saying, how do we survive? How do we make it? In this atmosphere, the Apostle Paul wrote, and I'll just read a portion here in the 60, starting the 16th verse of the third chapter of 1 Corinthians. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. God lives in this world, but he lives primarily in his people to strengthen them and to encourage them and to teach them to rely on each other and to encourage each other in order to survive. And he tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in numerous instances, folks, learn to live by the Spirit instead of the flesh. The world under satanic influence lives just according to the flesh. Whatever, whatever makes me happy has got to be good. But in the book of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul is addressing that problem with the people in Galatia, just like they were over in Corinth, here in the fifth chapter, he says this, <clears throat> starting about verse 16. He says, So I say to you, you've received the Spirit. Now live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature, which is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, which is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other, so that you do not know what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, if you're led by the spirit, which means a consciousness of the presence of God on a continuum in your life. And we don't you admit with me that we're so easily distracted from an awareness of the presence of, of God around us and in us. We're supposed to accept all of that by faith. Now, some of our Pentecostal brethren, I don't necessarily agree with them, but I do defend them because they are our brothers in Christ. Say, you know, I have, to have a, I have to have some confidence. I have to have a sign. I have to have some assurance. And so when I'm baptized, I need to, be, I need to come up out of the water and, and, and speak in tongues. Now, I'm not a tongues person, but I defend those who are. Because I already believe it. I don't need a sign. I just need help. <laughs> to live up to what God expects of me. And the only way I can do that is to be conscious of his presence, number one, and number two, to receive the encouragement and the assistance of folks like you. Bible actually says that this way, we're to bear each other's burdens if we're going to love God's way. Which means we have to know each other well enough to care about each other. That's the reason I asked you to pray for Mel. 
he's bit off more than he can chew, folks. So he needs help. And he hadn't asked. I'm just telling you, I love the guy, so... We need help to survive in a hostile atmosphere. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in thinking we can change our world that we just end up getting depressed because we're trying to do something that can't be done. Only God can do it. And he's already said, I'm just going to get rid of it. And we need to seek the blessing of discernment. The word discernment means the capacity to tell right from wrong. Because we're living in a world today where there's so much confusion, and confusion is caused by the devil. All of this sexual trans, all that stuff is confusion that's caused by the devil. And a lot of decent, good people are being terribly confused by it. What we need to do, I've got to wind this thing up here, I guess. What God has promised us, if we can just discipline ourselves to the place or encourage each other to be reminded of the fact, God is here. Emmanuel, God is present all the time, everywhere. You don't have to go to church. The church, I, I was in, in, a, in a, an evangelistic meeting years ago and the song leader was saying you know i want the holy spirit to come here today I, and i told him after i said he's been here all the time I, he said oh, how you know i said oh, he came with me i know he was here didn't he come with you if he didn't then you and i need to talk we need to be everything as believers if we can become conscious of the abiding presence of the living God, if we can do that, think of what it will do to morals and to just about everything else. We don't have to, you know, because in the flesh, in the flesh, And it's always here. It's that conflict between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is so weak and easily influenced. I think I told you one time, my brother and I, middle brother, were bringing in the last cutting of alfalfa, had it on the wagon. Old Charlie was the lead horse. Old Sam was the off horse. And Chuck was driving. I was just sitting on the side of the wagon. We came down. You come out of the field and down a little hill and turn around the bend. And when you come around that bend, there's a gap there before you can go up and get in the barn. For whatever reason, when we got to the bottom of the hill and just turned to go into the gap, old Charlie balked. Now, for you kids that don't know what I'm talking about, it means he stopped and wouldn't move. You know anything you can... Chuck, now you won't like this, but it happened. Chuck took a pinch fork and jabbed him in the butt. He just flinched a little, didn't move. He went to plan two. He got a fleek of the hay, set it on fire, and pitched it underneath old, old Charlie. Old Charlie wiggled a little bit. Walked up about 10 foot and stopped. Now the fire was under the wagon. Dad had said all the time, old Charlie had more sense than we did. I guarantee you that those two fine Christian young men all had been baptized, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, said some words to Charles, the horse, that were not appropriate for church. Because, the, you see, the flesh is so easily influenced that we can fall into that trap so easily. But if he and I had been consciously aware of the presence that God was right there, we wouldn't have said a word except pat old Charlie on the fanny and say, you'll be all right, Hoss, you know. The consciousness of the presence of God is, in one sense, a fulfillment of what Jesus requested us to do. 
and the source of the power of the Christian influence in a hostile world. When Jesus gathered with his leaven, and it's recorded in the 28th chapter of Matthew, he told them, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, not just Jews, Gentiles, for everybody. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey what I've taught you. And lo, or surely, I will be with you to the end of this age. Isn't he saying, you go do my work, I will leave you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you all the time. The problem is, we're not conscious of that. We're so distracted with making a living and doing this and doing that, that we, and we're not very well disciplined in the faith. He's here with us. Emmanuel. All the time. Who was it? I think it was. Uh, I forget the name of the, the poet who said, I met God in the morning when my day was at its very best. And his presence came to me just like the sunshine. And his glory fill my breast. And all day long his presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. And we walked the world in perfect calmness in a very troubled sea. Seek the Lord. Claim his promise to be with you. It will transform your life. So, Lord, we pray that you will dismiss us now with a sense of your continuing and abiding and powerful presence. And help us with the encouragement of each other and the prodding of your Holy Spirit to be amazingly aware of your constant presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, you're free to go. Women, buy you a ticket from Mama out there. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.